joining us now from the Washington Post is senior NBA reporter Ben Golliver, uh, who's here to chat with us live from Las Vegas, the site of NBA Summer League. And Ben's back with us here on the program. The time is always greatly appreciated. Be honest, how hot is it these days, this time of year in Las Vegas outside, Ben? Well, you know, it's actually a, a little bit uh, chilly today. It's only 101 right now. I mean, <laughs> we, got up to, we got up to 112 earlier in the week. I think that was the highest Jeez. I saw. And man, you know, it's it's pretty rough. One night I lost my rental car in the parking lot right, right around sunset. So I was doing a lap. Stay on my feet. I mean, it was a mess. So, um, you know, in Vegas, it's going to test you a little bit. But the nice payoff is you get to see all these high-level rookies, you know, really in action for the first time. So that's been fun. Yeah, when, when you're inside a basketball gym, not much heat that you have to worry about. But, uh, boy, I tell you, outside that there drive, in Vegas, that it's, it, it's different. Cam, you and I have been there before, and it's oh. it's absolutely uh, crazy what we're going through. Ben, last time we had you on the show, it was hours before the NBA draft took place. You were about to walk into the Barclays Center. We're talking about the fact that, hey, Jabari Smith, our guy here in Auburn, is going to be the number one overall pick. And then that just didn't happen. He falls to three <laughs> to the Houston Rockets. And here you are watching him uh, in Houston or for the Houston Rockets. Tell us uh, about the draft fall there possibly for Jabari. And what have you seen so far from Summer League? Well, it was one of the weirdest draft nights that I can remember in recent memory. I mean, um, largely because no one could figure out why Orlando was so secretive about what they wanted to do. I mean, typically we kind of have a good sense for who it was going to be. And I think a lot of the scouts around the league just assumed that the Magic would take Jabari because he's such a modern player. You can envision him guarding four or five positions. You can envision him shooting the uh, three-point shot at a very high level. That's kind of what people look for. You figure, hey, if he can build up his uh, ball handling ability a little bit and show a little bit more creation off the dribble, this is a guy who's going to be sort of a perennial all-star level guy. And so that's why I think the consensus was around Jabari, but Orlando saw it differently. And, And I think I understand why. You look at their team for the last 10 years, they've been in the bottom 10 of offense. Um, every single year, right? So that just tells you, like, they want scoring punch. They want a guy who can come in and give them some buckets early. And that's really who Paolo is. I mean, you watch uh, Paolo Bancaro here in Las Vegas. He looks like a very polished player, kind of like a young Carmelo Anthony, really good off the dribble. He's got kind of a deep bag. And I think that the Magic were saying, look, this is going to be our number one scoring option. We're going to go this direction. And that kind of put Jabari in a spot where, okay, well, what's his new home going to be? And he winds up landing with Houston, which I think is a good fit. They need his defense. They need his three-point shooting. And I think they really need his character, too. I think you look at how young that roster is, uh, the number of losses that they went through last year. They have some guys, in my opinion, who have their own agendas, who are out there trying to just play pickup basketball, trying to get their own numbers. They need a guy who's a good teammate, who, who puts you know uh, his, his teammates before himself, who's unselfish but who can kind of pick his spots on offense and who's willing to do the dirty work on defense. And that's been Jabari Smith. And i got to tell you guys, I love his competitive spirit. Paolo Bancaro, he played two games here in Las Vegas, and he said, I'm done. You know, I'm just going to sit out. And then they shut him down early. I watched Jabari Smith. He's still playing. He played last night. He's been here all week playing basketball, playing hard, and playing great on defense. I love to see that. 
It's Ben Golliver joining us on the program, talking about Jabari Smith, and we certainly saw that competitive nature, that competitive spirit from Jabari, his lone season playing for Bruce Pearl's Tigers. I want to get to NBA free agency and some of this offseason in just a moment, but one more summer league question for you while you're there. Here at Auburn, we mentioned in the past you've got someone like Chuma Okiki and Isaac Okoro who are a few seasons into their NBA careers, but Auburn also proudly boasts a couple of second-year guys in JT Thor with the Charlotte Hornets and Sharif Cooper with the Atlanta Hawks. Both of those guys in Las Vegas. Uh, we've seen both of them make some nice plays there in Summer League. Anything in particular from either Sharif Cooper or JT Thor stand out to you, Ben? I'll be honest. I've been focusing a lot on the lottery guys. You know, it was a little bit of a disappointment. We didn't get to see Walker Kessler. You know, I was kind of circled him. was kind of hoping maybe he'd get a big opportunity because I think, you know, you look at his trade in terms of where it landed him. He's going to play a lot as a rookie. I mean, whether as a starter or as a backup, I mean, I think he's going to be somebody where, you know, when they when they do that big go-bear trade, maybe he's a little bit of a footnote to it, right? Um, but, you know, you start to line up the depth chart for where he lands, and it's like, oh, all right. I mean, this guy is going to be a, a real factor as a rookie. But, um, no, I've been focusing most of my energy on those top five, top ten picks. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, all good, Ben, and, and we do want to get your thoughts here now on some of the business conducted uh, this off season, and, and we'll start with some of the trades that have happened so far. Uh, obviously, the, the first couple that come to mind, the Rudy Gobert trade uh, to Minnesota with a lot of draft picks, both already picked uh, this year and then in the future, and then the DeJounte Murray trade to Atlanta. What are your thoughts on those two trades in particular? Well, it's just like uh, the rest of the world, right? We got inflation going on. You know, we're all dealing with, like, first it was like baby formula, then it was gasoline. Now it's uh, NBA All-Stars. You know, the price just keeps going up and going up in terms of how many young players you have to send back or how many draft picks you have to send back. Um, It's two really interesting gambles from Atlanta and Minnesota. I think both those teams are saying, look, we might not historically be, like, major free agent destinations. You don't see, like, power play moves where guys like LeBron – or Kevin Durant want to go play for the Hawks or the Timberwolves. But what they're saying is we could put together kind of a mini version of a super team or at least a super partnership with some all-star level players and really try to go for it in a way that those two franchises historically haven't done. For Atlanta, they're just trying to get a defensive complement to Trey Young, right? They're saying, Trey, you handle the shooting, you handle running the offense. DeJounte Murray's going to come in and handle the, the toughest defensive assignment, and he'll be a secondary creator. I like that partnership, and I also think it could be interesting where if you have those two guys together and it's fun and it works and they have like a young, nice identity, maybe somebody else wants to come play with those guys and all of a sudden you have a big three, right? I'm not sure Atlanta's going to go super deep in the playoffs next year, but I think they're on to something. You know, they're, they're building something there. Now, with Minnesota, it's just a huge gamble. I mean, you're, you're sending out all these draft picks, all, you know, some of them unprotected. They're sending out a bunch of young players and, and rotation guys, you know, so you're kind of, uh, you know, cramping your depth a little bit. And you're banking on two seven footers, guys who are going to be making a combined like 400 and something million dollars in Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert to be able to figure out how to make it work when, you know, sometimes at the highest level of playoff basketball, you know, teams don't have two centers. Sometimes they don't even have one center. They just go small and they play like guys like Draymond Green get to play center. Or even at, at times, Kevin Durant played some center during the playoffs. So they're going against the grain big time. I, I think it might blow up in their face. I'm not a huge believer in what Minnesota's trying to do. But I'll tell you this, guys. They're very confident. They believe it themselves. You know, you're here in Las Vegas. It's all about risks and people gambling. 
they feel like the guy at the craps table on a hot street. You know, they feel like they got a really good player with Rudy Gobert, and they think they're going to do something special next year. And so it's just a fascinating thing of uh, who's going to be right, you know, all the doubters or this team that really believes in their vision. And Ben, usually in free agency, we see a, a couple of big moves or a couple of big signings. And I, and I feel like we've maybe gotten a little spoiled in recent years because someone like Kevin Durant or LeBron James has changed teams uh, a few times in free agency, but uh, not as many marquee free agent moves. So, so what stood out to you? What do you think might be an underrated move that a team either re-sign somebody or, or sign somebody for a mid-level, something like that, that will go under the radar, but will help that team immensely next year? Well, let me say first, I mean, yet. You know, we haven't seen those moves yet. I mean, Kevin Durant uh, requested a trade in very public fashion on the very first day of free agency, and that situation remains unresolved, right? So, uh, and if, if he goes, now all of a sudden maybe Kyrie Irving goes or, or potentially the other way around. Maybe the Lakers can come up with a Kyrie Irving uh, offer, uh, possibly involving Russell Westbrook, and that leads to Kevin Durant needing to find, uh, you know, an exit strategy from Brooklyn even more than he already wants. So, uh, I wouldn't say this summer is over, and we've still got the Donovan Mitchell situation in Utah percolating. To me, if I'm the Jazz, I want to sell high on Donovan Mitchell just like I sold high on Rudy Gobert. You're going to be bad either way next year just because of how young your team is. And in some cases, you know, you got some really aging vets who aren't going to be contributing as much. Uh, I'd be trying to sell those guys off as well in trades, whether it's a Mike Conley or Bogdanovich. I mean, I would just turn the whole thing into a garage sale if I was Danny Ainge. And I think that's what he wants to do. So I don't think we're done yet. I just think it's a weird summer where, like, we didn't get the big bang right off the top, but it's you know kind of trickling out. We even saw the DeAndre Ayton uh, signing happen yesterday where that's another pretty big name, a guy with all-star potential who decides to stay in Phoenix. So, um, you know, don't write this summer off yet. You know, it's just a, it's a little bit of an unconventional one um, or, you know, just a little bit of a different one. Now, in terms of some minor moves, um, you know, around the edges of, of teams that, you know, have done well. I, to me, I circle the Boston Celtics. Now, they got pretty darn close to winning that title, right? I mean, they're a couple wins away from beating Golden State. Uh, they grab Malcolm Brogdon. They grab uh, Danilo Gallinari. Now, those are two guys who have had some injury issues. They're not two huge names, but they are two guys who fill direct problems, you know, direct holes for that team. Now, with Brogdon, you saw Boston's offense just fall to pieces in the finals, right? They didn't have a ball handler. It was too much on Jason Tatum, too much on Jalen Brown. And Marcus Smart's just not that traditional point guard to get it done. Brogdon comes in and gives them um, that look. You know, they can go to a guy who's an experienced pick-and-roll player, who's a good spot-up shooter. If he can stay healthy, I mean, he's a big-time game-changer. And the best part is he's big and physical, and he can play defense, too, in a backcourt spot. So he doesn't really change how Boston wants to play. And then with Gallinari, you know, it's a shooter on the wing. It's a guy who can space the court, give you a little bit of punch off the bench. They didn't have enough of, of that in the playoffs either. They were really tight on like a seven-man rotation once the playoffs came around. And, and Gallinari should help address that as well. The amazing part to me is they added those two guys without losing any of their top eight players this summer. They kept the entire rotation. I think Brad Stevens is going to be in line for GM of the year next year. I mean, he's had a great run there ever since he uh, transitioned from coach to president. It's been going wonderful for him. And uh, back to Summer League and talking about this rookie class, um, you said you were talk, uh, you were focusing on really those top 10 uh, picks. Um, outside of the top three, which of you know those top 10 picks do you think um, will make the most impact for their team immediately? 
Well, it's been tough because a guy like Shaden Sharp, who everybody wanted to see in Portland, who, who maybe was going to be fighting for some minutes, he immediately got injured here. And so that was the, the one wild card X factor everybody wanted to see. Um, but you're looking at, you know, number four pick Keegan Murray has played his butt off. I mean, he's been amazing. He's, you know, playing huge minutes. He's scoring a lot. He's not super duper athletic. You know, he doesn't really look like that, uh, you know, that uh, the guy who makes the scouts drool like a Jabari Smith. Um, but he's just real subtle. He knows how to get to his spots, and he's been shooting the basketball great um, from the three-point arc. So he's had a nice summer league. Uh, Benedict Matherin, a kid from Arizona, um, has also had some really nice moments. He's got this great sidestep three-pointer. You know, it's an NBA-level shot. He's clearly worked on it. Um, he can get it off against pretty much any defense. And he's also not afraid to go to the basket and be physical. And I think if you're the Pacers, you know, you're starting this rebuild, the whole thing is going to be built around Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton. Those guys are going to get huge minutes this season after that Malcolm Brogdon trade, and they're going to be guys to watch. I mean, you know, I could even see them being in a situation where maybe Matherin's kind of in the rookie of the year mix just because they're, he's going to have to have the ball so much and do so much for them um, right out of the gate. So those are a couple of names. We've had a, a few other injury issues that have uh, you know thinned out the crop a little bit. But, you know, watching a guy like Chet Holmgren, to me, that's been one of the, the highlights of this entire summer league. He is such a smart player. Obviously, his body is so unusual. And I think, you know, both you – know, the way I wrote it this week was he didn't have a bust in the entire top five. There was nobody who got uh, – you know, who came out to Vegas and just looked like they couldn't play. Um, you know, Paolo, Chet, Jabari, they all had their moments. Keegan Murray had his moments as well. And, and even before he got injured, uh, Jaden Ivey, you know, the, the guard that gets everybody excited, gets the Donovan Mitchell comparisons and the Russell Westbrook comparisons. He had some nice moments, too, before he sprained his ankle. So it was kind of one of those situations like, you know, sometimes you go to Vegas and you come home empty-handed because you, uh, you know, you, you bet all your money and you don't got anything left. And this was a, uh, a year where all the top teams are coming home with something to be proud of. Like, they got something out of their top picks. Uh, everybody had some good moments. Our guest today is Ben Golliver with the Washington Post. Follow him on Twitter, at Ben Golliver, uh, to see some of his work there. We started talking about the heat that you experience when you go somewhere like Las Vegas in the middle of July. Also at these events, Ben, it seems like when you're just watching on television, plain and simple, it's a who's who of who's at the arena that night that you could possibly run into. What's that even like to be there in person when you legit are seeing just absolute superstars of the sport and other walks of life even that are at the games each and every night what's that like no i mean you nailed it. i really enjoy the the kind of the paparazzi feel to it i mean if you're just sitting there watching a the game courtside it's lebron james kyrie irving russell westbrook uh you got steve ballmer the owner of the clippers james dolan the owner of the knicks you got floyd mayweather the boxer um you know ben simmons showed up john Morant showed up damian lillard showed up and that's what I love about the summer league. You know, I've been coming for, you know, probably almost 15 years now. And it's just built up gradually, you know, bit by bit, year by year. And we're at the point now where it's become a magnet for the top players, right? You know, if you want to, uh, you know, watch your young teammates play, if you want to get a little bit of television time, if you want to maybe go gamble on the strip and then come over and, and just kind of slide through, you know, you can do that as well. Even Zion Williamson, a guy who we barely saw all season long because he was injured, you know, he decided to show up at Summer League the other day, which was great to see kind of from their team-building perspective, just watching him hanging out with guys like Brandon Ingram and the rest of that Pelicans group. So um, I just love it from a basketball standpoint. I love to see which stars are the true basketball junkies, right? Like who really lives and breathes <laughs> this stuff? And one guy I'd say is John Morant. 
he was out there almost every single game for the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have a really good team this year. Just uh, you know, just a bunch of good athletes and um, you know a bunch of high level picks, guys who are just trying to make names for themselves. And John Morant's just been eating it up courtside every single night, and I love to see that. Let's wrap with this final two questions here for Ben Golliver with the Washington Post. You mentioned Kyrie Irving there a moment ago. We talked a little bit about Russell Westbrook and whether or not he could be involved in a Laker deal. Do you still think when the season starts and rolls around that Kyrie Irving uh, is playing for the Lakers or is he playing for the Nets or what do you think ultimately happens there with Kyrie? I mean, look, he's trying to manifest this trade to the Lakers. He wants it to happen. He's been hanging out in L.A. He's been going to basketball games in L.A. He showed up. Um, at summer league, but he did not go to a Nets game. You know, he was he was uh, you know trying to make it pretty clear. There's a little distance there. To me, it makes all the sense in the world. Both those guys just wore out their welcomes last year, Westbrook and Kyrie. And if you switch them, um, you know, I think Kyrie's in a better spot to kind of just change the story from what was a tricky time in Brooklyn. And you know, LeBron James would welcome him with open arms after what was just a disastrous season with Westbrook. So I think it makes sense. I think that this is going to probably be a long negotiation where you're just kind of haggling over picks and everything else. Um, but, you know, if I was Brooklyn, I would want to pull the plug. There's been a lot of talk the last couple of days of like, oh, maybe the Nets are just going to try to bring Kyrie back and, and bring KD back. I just want to say that team was miserable last year, and they lost some really important pieces this summer. Guys like Bruce Brown, who'd be another really good under-the-radar move um, you were asking about earlier. Bruce Brown, you know, that's a nice pickup. Uh, for the Denver Nuggets, but you've got uh, Goran Dragic leaving, you know, Blake Griffin's going to leave, all these other guys are leaving, there's nobody left, right? So why do you want to go back there? If I'm the Nets, uh, I'm doing the same thing the Utah Jazz are doing, just trying to have an auction, sell as high as possible, get rid of those superstars, and just move on, and kind of get back to, you know, an identity where you're a scrappy, a little bit more of an underdog-type team, uh, because they just couldn't handle the limelight, they could not handle the glare as an organization, so I hope they pull the trigger. I hope they don't try to make it work because it was such a mess. They just need to move on. You know, sometimes you just got to cut ties, man. You know, you just reach that point where it's like, look, this isn't working. Everybody's been through a breakup like that. I think that's where the Nets are right now. Look, it was toxic. Admit it and move on. Last question, and I'm excited for this one. Earlier this week, Ben, we saw a fellow media member like yourself, yes, I'm referring to Richard Jefferson, get to officiate (laughs) an NBA Summer League for one quarter. If Ben Golliver is put in that situation, in that setting, how does that go? Well, I'd be even more nervous than Richard. And Richard was nervous. (laughs) I was watching him before the quarter, man. He was like, you know, he was uh, shifted back and forth on his feet. Uh, He looked very nervous. The first call, there was a huge dispute about did he get it right. And one of the other referees came in and overturned it. (laughs) And it was so funny because after the game, he was in the tunnel. And he he insisted that he had it right. And then he wanted to go back and check the video. He's like, let's go queue up different angles. Let's make sure, you know, we get the truth about this one. So <laughs> you can tell the consp- uh, the competitive spirit that helps you be an NBA player. Uh, probably helps you be a good NBA referee as well. But I'll tell you what, man. I used to referee high school games years and years ago oh, right wow. after I graduated yeah. college. You know, just local, you know, not not good games. Yeah. Not like intramural games. Uh, I'm probably getting paid like 10 bucks an hour to do sure. this. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> You couldn't pay me 100 bucks an hour to do that now, man, because I was not a player's favorite. They were always coming after me. I couldn't handle the heat. So uh, uh, I, I leave that to the professionals. I'll tell you what, though, watching Richard Jefferson do what he did, I hope that gives people respect for what the real referees are doing out there. Sure. That's a tough job. You know, there's a lot of big egos in the NBA, guys who will yell at you, scream at you, say every last thing in the book. 
and I think the the way that they keep their composure most nights is incredible. I could never do it. It's just a remarkable point that you got there. Well, listen, we really do appreciate the time, Ben, as always. I'm hopeful that as Summer League winds down, you get some time off yourself because you're always working so hard. Again, thank you for the time as always, and uh, we'll be sure to follow your work with the Washington Post moving forward. Talk again soon, Ben, okay? All right, take care, guys.